0: I'd like to ask you to turn with me to 1st Peter chapter 1, continuing our study through 1st Peter. This morning we come to verses 10 through 12. 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12, please give your attention to God's holy word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were not were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Well, We, my family and I, have had a relatively smooth transition from the suburbs of Philadelphia here to beautiful State College. There have been a lot of goodbyes and a lot of hellos, and one of the most difficult goodbyes I had, interestingly enough, unsurprisingly, uh, before I left, was saying goodbye to my two car mechanics, Glenn and Joe, I love those guys. I had uh, somebody, when I first moved to that area 20 years ago, had recommended them to me. And uh, they were kind of old school, small garage kind of mechanics. And I came to very quickly not only trust them as very knowledgeable and up to date and gifted at what they did, but also trustworthy in the sense of knowing that when they said I needed a repair, I really needed that repair. And it cost exactly what they said it would cost. I found that being able to trust your mechanic is a very important truth in life, especially for somebody like me. I know nothing about an engine. And so when somebody, when a mechanic tells me I need a repair, I need to be able to trust him that I really need it and that the cost is what he said it is. None of us is an expert in every area of life. There are some very, very smart people in this congregation, but none of you knows everything about every area of life that you need to know in order to live. And so we go through life trusting in authorities, trusting in experts, taking their word for it about what is true in those areas of life. We trust the architects when they design our homes or our offices or our shopping malls. We trust them that they know what they're talking about. And then when they say a building will hold up, it will hold up. We trust in financial advisors about what to do with our money. We trust in doctors about what to do about our health. We take their word for it. We need to be able to trust them because we don't know what they know. Well, this is especially true when it comes to matters about the spiritual world we if obviously if you're here i'm assuming you believe that there is a spiritual reality there's something beyond what our five senses can tell us and we need to know truth about that spiritual reality it's very important that we understand what's true about spiritual things in order to live the way that we're supposed to live the way that we want to live But there are so many voices out there claiming to speak for God or the gods or spiritual forces or realities. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? Well, Peter, in this letter, is writing as a spiritual authority about spiritual things. And he understands that it's important that those who read this letter, including us, trust him as a spokesman about spiritual reality. We've been studying through chapter 1 and we've seen there that the main message of 1 Peter 1 is salvation. He wants to focus upon how God has saved us. We saw that in the very beginning where he says we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, Kept in heaven. What Peter is saying is that we need salvation and that salvation has to come through a new birth. A spiritual birth. We're all born physically, but only some of us are born again spiritually. And we need that spiritual birth in order to understand the living hope that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for us in our sinful condition, then we receive an inheritance that is eternal, that cannot be taken away. That's the gospel. It's all about salvation. And it comes from the spiritual realm to us. And Peter said as we saw last week he wants us to find our joy in that salvation message. That's the basis of our joy. That's the ground of our joy. That's why we can rejoice while we grieve, while we go through grief. Because we are going to suffer as sinners in a fallen world. So we joyously grieve because our joy, our true joy is found in our salvation, the message of the gospel. And Peter went on to say that when we suffer, it's by God's plan and God's intent in our suffering is to strengthen our faith in those spiritual truths, the gospel, to strengthen our faith in the death and resurrection and the reign of Jesus Christ and our eternal inheritance in Him. That's where we find our joy. And our faith is strengthened through suffering. And so we come to verse 10. These verses we read this morning, and what you see here is that Peter wants to strengthen our faith in those truths. And he wants to ground our confidence in this salvation. He says concerning this salvation, the salvation he's been talking about in verses 1 through 9. And he's laying a claim to be trusted as a spiritual authority here. How do we know that what he has to say is true? How could these original readers of this letter, how can we as we read this letter trust his message? How can we know that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead? How can we know that his death on the cross has importance in God's eyes towards us? How can we know that Christianity is true? I mean, we wrestle with that today, but they wrestled with it back in Peter's day too. Matter of fact, back in his day, understand, it was a new thing. It was brand new in many ways. Also very old in other ways. We'll look at it in a moment. But in the eyes of the people, in the eyes of the culture, Christianity could have been just the latest fad. It could have just been the newest religion, the newest cult that had sprung up out of Judaism. There had been many of them. We think there's a lot of New religions and cults these days, there were just as many back then. How could these struggling Christians, persecuted Christians in Asia Minor that Peter is writing to know that the gospel is true? Well, Peter, in these verses, verses 10 through 12, makes a pretty astounding claim, a pretty audacious claim in the eyes of many of the people. He's basically, what he's saying is that the Old Testament is a Christian book. That's what he's saying. He's laying claim on the Old Testament, the writings of Moses, the writings of the prophets. He's laying claim to them as the foundation of Christianity. And the basis of what he's preaching when he preaches about Christ. There were many, many Jews in Peter's day who deeply resented this. And there are many, many Jews today who still resent it when we Christians appeal to the Old Testament to back up what we believe about Christ and the Gospel. Matter of fact, one of the main groups persecuting these Christians in the first century were the Jews. And they were very angry that Christians were using the Old Testament to support what they were saying about Jesus Christ. And is there really, when you think about the spiritual realm and spiritual teachings, is there a much more of a controversial teaching that you could have today? We're not talking about Peter's day, I'm not talking about today. Than to say that the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ and it's about the gospel. I mean, think about it. How much of the world's population is made up of people who lay claim to the Old Testament as the basis for their teachings? Judaism, Islam, Christianity. With those three major world religions, you've covered the vast majority of the world's population, and all three of them lay claim to the Old Testament. But Peter says the Old Testament is about the gospel. Do you trust Him? Can you believe Him? Well, that's what Peter wants to establish here in these verses. Look at verses 10 and 11. We'll see that the first thing that Peter wants to say to these readers is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the prophet's message. The gospel is the message of the Old Testament prophets. He says in verses 10 and 11, concerning this salvation, the prophet's who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Hear what he said. The prophets of the Old Testament predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The death and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ was predicted by the Old Testament prophets. That's an amazing claim that Peter is making here in the first century. The prophets knew that Messiah was coming. They just didn't know exactly who or how or when. But it was Moses, the first prophet called by God, it was Moses who taught about blood sacrifice. The idea of atonement. That blood must be shed as the wages of sin. And that there is a means of substitute. There is a means of sacrifice of a substitute, of a perfect substitute that can somehow atone for sins, that can cover over sin, that can bring God and man together. Moses, through the tabernacle, through the giving of the law, through the sprinkling of the blood on the people, taught the concept of what we call in theology substitutionary atonement. The blood of a Passover lamb that can pay for the sins of of men and women and children so that we can be forgiven. Moses, the prophet, taught this. The idea of redemption as he led the people out of slavery into the promised land, Moses taught about the idea of salvation by redemption. David prophesied in great detail about the death of Christ. David prophesied that he would be be betrayed by one of his closest disciples. David prophesied that the hands and feet of the Messiah would be pierced. David prophesied that... The Messiah would suffer and be mocked by the people. And, matter of fact, David even quoted the mockers word for word. David prophesied that those around the Messiah as he died would gamble for his clothes. He prophesied that even though he would be crushed, his bones would not be broken. He prophesied that this Messiah would die and be raised again to live eternally. David prophesied, as Peter says, of his sufferings and of his glories. Isaiah, we looked at Isaiah 53 just a moment ago. Isaiah was the one in great detail that prophesied of the suffering servant. That when Messiah came, He wouldn't come as a conquering king to set up an earthly kingdom. He would come to suffer for His people. That in His death, He would be be buried with the rich, but in His life, He would be mocked and rejected and ridiculed by the people. Isaiah is the one who, as we saw a moment ago, gave the deep theological meaning behind the death of Christ and his resurrection from the dead? Isaiah preached the cross. Isaiah preached the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories as he bore the sins of the straying sheep. Those are just some examples. It's always kind of fascinating as the scholars try to count the Old Testament prophecies about Christ and his kingdom. And sometimes they they come up with different counts. They're all generally in the same ballpark, but it depends on how you divide up or how you interpret some of those prophecies. But there was one scholar, I think a pretty typical number that he came up with, was 332 different prophecies about the Messiah and his kingdom. And Christ fulfilled them all. This concept of fulfilled prophecy, we don't talk about it as much in the church anymore. But this was central to the preaching of the apostles in the early church. Let me just give you a couple examples. Turn over to the book of Acts with me. Let's go. Well, first of all, just let me remind you of the the preaching. If you just glance at uh, Acts chapter 2, remember we're talking about Peter here. The sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost If you just glance at Acts chapter 2, especially if you have a translation where it puts the Old Testament prophecies in in a poetic form, and so the the, uh, formatting is different. Just looking at Acts chapter 2 and looking at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, more than half of his sermon was quoting Old Testament prophecies. Isn't that interesting? More than half of his sermon was was quoting of Old Testament prophecies. And then look over at chapter 3, his second sermon. It begins in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Do you see how Peter felt that fulfilled prophecy was essential to the gospel message, essential to his call to the people to repent and turn to Christ? Why? Because the prophets said that he would suffer and be raised from the dead. Down in verse 22, he goes on to say, Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, Peter's days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Again, do you see how fulfilled prophecy, the prophecies of Moses, the prophecy given to Abraham, it being fulfilled in Christ was essential to the message of the gospel that Peter preached. Let me turn over to Acts 13 for a moment and see how Paul also had fulfilled prophecy as central to his preaching. Acts 13, beginning in verse 27. Paul says, "...for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him." And though they found in him no, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Again, because the, Jews did, the Jewish leaders did not understand the teaching of the prophets, they put him to death. But yet by doing so, they fulfilled the prophecies. Over in chapter 17, just one last example from the preaching of the early church. Acts 17, verses 2 and 3. This is describing Paul's ministry, and it says, "...and Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ." The Scriptures he's talking about there are the Old Testament prophecies. And so fulfilled prophecy is foundational to believing and accepting the Gospel. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul wants to summarize the Gospel, listen to how he does it. He says, "...for I delivered to you as of first importance what what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures." The Old Testament Scriptures. The Old Testament prophecies. He died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Prophecy is meant to be the ground and the foundation of our confidence that Christ is who God said he would be. The one who would save us. Notice that Peter says here back in 1 chap- Peter chapter 1. He says that the prophets didn't just pass along this information. They didn't just speak these prophecies in some kind of trance. He says that they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They desperately wanted to know more than what God had revealed to them about who this Christ was and how He was going to save them because that Christ was their hope too. They were preaching the Gospel But it was a gospel of shadows. It was a gospel of prophecy. It hadn't yet been fulfilled, and they desperately wanted to know how God was going to fulfill these prophecies that He'd revealed to them. They searched and inquired carefully. Peter is saying to these first century believers, they were rejected by the world, they were ridiculed by the world, they are persecuted by the world, but he's saying, you're the blessed ones, you're the privileged ones, you're in the era, the greatest era of revelation from God about spiritual realities that mankind has ever seen, because all these things that the prophets have said about the Messiah have now come to pass, and it is finished, we are saved. As Jesus would say to his disciples in Matthew 13, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The prophets spoke of Christ in the gospel. Therefore, we should believe it and build our life upon it. The second point that Peter makes is that this Gospel is not just the message of the prophets, but it's the message of the Holy Spirit. Of the very Spirit of God. It's His message. Peter says the Spirit of Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament prophets when they spoke. They spoke as vehicles of the Holy Spirit. Peter would later expand upon this in his second letter, over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So not only... Is Christ in the gospel, his gospel, is it a fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets taught, of the whole Old Testament revelation? But we can be sure that the Holy Spirit was speaking through those prophets. So it's the very message of the Spirit of God. And particularly, you notice that Peter says that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. And so ultimately, the word of the prophets of the Old Testament is the word of Jesus Christ. Now that says something very important about Jesus Christ. That he is pre-existent. That when he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that wasn't when he began. That he is the eternal Son of God. That he existed before creation and he spoke throughout the Old Testament period through the prophets. Through his Holy Spirit. Christ revealed himself. And so what's interesting is how Christ spoke of the Old Testament scriptures. He used the Old Testament Scriptures like an autobiography. There's one great example of that after his resurrection in Matthew 24, when he met with those two disciples who were walking down the road to Emmaus, puzzling over the meaning of his death and puzzling over these rumors of his resurrection. And Jesus came alongside of them, the risen Christ came alongside of them, "...and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" Again, you get that message Peter saying, "...the prophets spoke of his sufferings and of his subsequent glories." "...was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" And then it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that Bible study? Where Jesus Christ, the author, the ultimate author of the Old Testament prophecies, interpreted for these disciples all that was written about him in the Old Testament scriptures. That was the same message that Jesus gave to His opponents. He said to the Jewish leaders, He said, You search the Scriptures. This is John 5, 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. The Old Testament Scriptures are about Christ. You know, to me, when I think about all the things that I think about, that I dwell upon, that I meditate upon in order to shore up my faith. Because the world is attacking me and it's attacking you daily to say that this is not the word of God and it's the word of men. One of the things that I come back to over and over again, because it's one of the things that has been most powerful to me in terms of a witness, is the fact that as you read this book from beginning to end, and if you haven't done that, I recommend it highly that you do it. I try to do it every other year or so. Read this book from beginning to end, and once you've done that, try to tell me that this isn't the work of one author, ultimately. Christ, through His Spirit, through the prophets and the apostles. Because as you read it, it's an amazing, amazing book in its internal consistency. How it preaches the same gospel from page one to the very last page. And just think about that as evidence to shore up your faith. This book was written over the course of 1,500 years, almost. 1,500 years. It was written by almost 40 different authors during those 1,500 years. That's about 40 generations Just think about how your life, your world, your thinking, your culture is different than your parents' generation and your grandparents' generation and your great grandparents' generation. Think about how much has changed in just two or three generations. We're talking about 40 generations of different cultures and places and times and people. The authors of Scripture, these 40 different authors, were fishermen, they were shepherds, they were priests, they were kings. There was a prime minister in their midst. There was a military general. There was a tax collector. There was a doctor. These writings were done in palaces, in pastures, in dungeons, and in the wilderness. These writings were written on three different continents. Africa, Asia, and Europe. They are written during war and peace. They were written during p- prosperity and poverty. They are written during Blessing and judgment, they were written during revival and apostasy, and they are written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And yet, when you read these scriptures from beginning to end, it's amazingly obvious that there's one author behind it all. There is a supernatural consistency and continuity among the writings of the prophets and the apostles. I would challenge you to get ten different authors today from the same profession, from the same income level, from the same culture, from the same general demographic and ask those ten authors to write on one subject, one controversial subject, and try to get any degree of agreement among those ten authors. And yet... Look at what God has done through the prophets and the apostles in this book. You see, this is the message that Peter is trying to get across. That the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament scriptures, were given by Jesus Christ through His Spirit to us. And those prophecies and the way in which they are fulfilled in His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to the right hand of God is meant to be one of the primary grounds of our confidence in what we believe. The Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is the word of Jesus Christ through the apostles and prophets by His Holy Spirit. And that's why Peter, I'm just not going to dwell on this, but just to point out... He throws in a little phrase there at the end that shows that this gospel is not just the message of the prophets, not just the message of Christ, but the message from heaven. Because you see in verse 12, he says, The Holy Spirit sent the prophets to service by the things that have been now announced to you, things into which angels long to look. I just like that imagery. Matter of fact, in the original Greek, the word look there means to lean over and stretch out your neck so that you can peer into something and see it. And you get the idea of of a treasure hunter looking deep into a treasure chest to see what's there. And really the image there is that the angels of heaven, the angels that serve before the face of God Himself, they come and they peer over the walls of heaven to look at what God is doing in His plan of redemption on earth to see how the salvation, which Christ won for us at the cross, is going to be completed. Jesus told us the angels don't know when He's going to return. Jesus told us that the angels... In his word tells us that the angels rejoiced at his birth. They celebrated at his empty tomb and they rejoice in heaven over every sinner who repents. These angels long to see the completion of the work of salvation. They don't know how it's all going to work out but they know it will because they serve before the face of God himself. The gospel is God's message of salvation from heaven. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no more important area of life in which you need a trustworthy voice of authority than in your spiritual life and you can implicitly trust in the word of christ given to us in the scriptures satan's most devastating temptation is the one that he used first of all when he said to eve in the garden has god really said and every day that te- that voice of temptation is being heard especially, I think, in this university community. I sent a son off to a university and watched him be tempted by this voice that said, has God really said? And he was seduced by that temptation. He walked away from the faith because he doubted that God has really said what Christ has said in the scriptures. And I pray for him every day that he'll repent and his eyes will be opened, then he'll see. But understand, I understand what it's like to be in a university community and to hear that voice of temptation. You must come back to the scriptures again and again every day and ask the Lord to open your eyes to see Christ as the author, and his gospel is the only way. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. As Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes and your ears. Many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray. Father, we are people who are under attack every day and we hear that serpent's hiss in our ear every day saying, Did you really say? Did you really speak through the Old Testament prophets? Did you really speak through the apostles? Is the Bible really the word of God? Can we trust it? Is it true? Father, strengthen our faith today. Lead us back to the scriptures to find our comfort and our strength. And help us to be bold witnesses, even against the onslaught of deception that we see every day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.